0: Too much Reddit, too little time? MyRed stacks your subreddit side-by-side. It's a Reddit reader that squishes more Reddit into your screen. Get a free trial today at MyRed.com.
1: You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
0: Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis Bucks, it's Frank Madden, back with you again, and pleased to report we have recovered part three of our podcast with Jeremy Schmidt of Bucksketball, as well as Steve Von Horn, my former co-conspirator in the Brewhoop podcast, slash co-editor of Brewhoop.com. Um where we left it last, and we were concerned, you may recall from the last podcast, we were I was concerned that uh, we may have actually lost the, the part three of the podcast when eric's computer crashed thankfully it's been recovered but where we left uh at the end of part two if you haven't checked it out yet please do but where we left it was uh talking about some broader themes that um you know maybe were common threads that we felt always come up again and again in uh in our discussions now and steve kind of started off by by talking a little bit about some that that we had uh, the last time we we were consistently potting with him on the Brew podcast. So um, without further ado, I'll kick it over to Steve. Thanks again for listening. and of course, thanks again so much for Steve and Jeremy for humoring us and hopefully we'll uh, we'll talk to them again
1: soon. Beyond the you know three is greater than two efficiency that exists now. are there any other like broader themes that you think are of that level of importance? and one that I that comes to mind is I'm not sure personally um, that I can get Wingspan sort of into that same category. I think the Bucks are one that have bet big on Wingspan and sort of, uh, you know, had a, a, a very clear approach of valuing Wingspan when either collecting players through trades, free agency, or the draft um, to, you know, they've done all those those ridiculous pictures of you know used to be john henson and larry sanders and company connected to each other but you could do the same with uh thon and yon and you know anyone else at this point because once you have those two it really doesn't matter um but you know does does anything like wingspan sort of get to that level of you where it's now becoming like a core concept of understanding the nba or i kind of struggle with it in the sense of it's uh, I, I realize it's important. I hear smart people talk about it all the time. I hear draft models that sort of take it into account. But, like, I can't figure out if there are other immutable concepts that either the Bucks are ahead or behind on that, um, you know, maybe factor into how I digest how they play and sort of what I think their ceiling or floor might be based on some of those because, you know, is Wingspan in the category of athleticism where it's clearly important but not necessarily definitive when – the playing field starts to level and everyone's super athletic? Or is it something where maybe the Bucks are ahead of the curve and this is something that differentiates them from others in the league? Like, I'm curious to know whether you guys have any other themes that you will be hitting on or sort of plan to organize your thoughts around uh, as we take in this, this upcoming season. Well, I, Steve, I would say this is one that we – a phrase we coined back in the day, the two of us,
0: and I forget if it was you or or me in regards to free agency. So this is less a a gameplay thing, but, um, you know, we, we would kind of joke about the do no harm philosophy Mm -hmm. of of free agency. And, um, and, and I think this is sort of one where, you know, the buck sort of bed has been made to a large extent. Um, and, and we'll see how much, you know, some of the, the mid tier contracts do end up, up, end up hurting them over the next couple of years. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I think especially at the time of, you know, thinking back to the summer of, of 2016, you know, and thinking that in today's world, we'd be at $108 million cap, um, you know, the Del Vidova contra- contract to contract don't seem quite so bad. Um, obviously, now, you know, they're they're more problematic, not to the point where, you know, the Bucks are perpetually screwed because of it. Um, but I think it is interesting to look at a team like the Bucks, which, you know, um had Giannis up until this year on a rookie contract. They still have Jabari on a rookie contract, Thawne, Malcolm Brogdon. You know, they have multiple starters up until, the, you know, even including this year who are basically being paid nothing. Um, and I think it will be interesting to see how the way that this team is constructed does impact their ceiling. Because this I, this is sort of one of the things that I think we talk about a fair bit, Eric, now and, and has been sort of a question, you know, for years now is, you know, can you ever really justify spending $10 million on a player, you know, shift the scale, depending on what the cap is, right? I mean, it used to be, I think, Jeremy, I know you were, I think, if I recall correctly, very anti, you know, that Ursa and contract. And, you know, that was a classic example of kind of like a solid player getting paid more than the mid-level, not superstar money, you know, just sort of one of those keep your own guys type thing. Um, and even though you could kind of look at him and say, if this guy walked, like dude, are we really gonna miss him, right? Or we could we even trade this guy for anything? Um and um, you know, Ursan's tenure was maybe more innocuous than it could have been. It wasn't really bad after that contract, but it wasn't really didn't really take the bucks anywhere. Um, And I'm, I think that'll be an interesting thing to see now that the bucks kind of don't have much flexibility, how much does that hurt them? And, you know, if they do have, if they do find some flexibility to sign, you know, a mid-level contract, uh, you know, next summer, the summer after whatever it might be, or if they get more flexibility going in 2019, you know, do they again just sort of blow their load on, you know, somebody who's not a superstar because they feel like they have to spend money. Um, And, and, I think underlying all that is, you know, also the Jabari Parker situation. What you pay Jabari, because I think there's a lot of very valid um, skepticism about paying Jabari among a lot of Bucks fans, and I I totally get that. Um, But first off, he's not going to take you know ten million dollars a year or something like that. Um, And you know, I think the interesting question for me, I kind of circle back the other way, and I kind of wonder. I mean, what are you going to do with sort of that? You know, if you don't have significant cap space. And you're not going to pay Jabari. Then, like, what are you doing to like put yourself over the top, you know? And it's almost like you don't want to just like pay Jabari because you don't have any cap space and you you know blew it for yourself and you just have to double down. <laughs> but yeah. um, but they are in an interesting spot because you know again it's sort of like one of these things I think a lot of people don't want to confront the reality of. But the upside I think in a lot of ways of of this team over the next three four seasons is is going to be very closely tied to does Jabari come back and what kind of player is he and how much do they pay him?
2: Um, I think we've talked about this before, but I, I think it's the matter of confronting the idea of having no assets. Like there's Giannis, that's an asset. And I, I guess it's also the difference between an asset and a good player. Like right now, Chris Middleton's an asset because his contract is good. His next contract might not be good. So he he might very well turn from an asset to just Chris Middleton. So and right with this Bucks team, it, it they're in a really tough spot because we've talked about it a million times. They're already over the cap and you don't want to double down and you want that flexibility, but also the scary part of having flexibility is you haven't committed to anything. You haven't committed to any one. You're just trying to find the chemistry between a number, probably four or five guys that are making very little money. You're you're hoping that the chemistry works out with maybe a guy that you developed in your G League squad, maybe a, two guys on rookie contracts. Like You're just trying to get that chemistry and the ultimate hope is that that chemistry all works out in one single season and you do well in that single season and then hopefully that's at the beginning of a cycle where those guys are all on good contracts, and maybe you can get a year two or a year three out of that, but at some point you have to pay people. And it's always that, to me, especially when you have a superstar that has to get paid like Giannis, and you are trying to build a roster, um, unless the, the only places there are value is at the very tippy top, where the best players in the league are getting wildly underpaid, and at the bottom where guys on rookie contracts are getting wildly underpaid because they haven't gotten their first contract yet that's where value is everywhere in between it's going to be awfully hard to find value unfortunately the guys at the top are having high expectations they need to win they need to have you prove that they care about you and you can't really prove to them that you care about them and are trying to win by having a great rookie for two years and then saying, well, he's going to be a little bit expensive, he's going to kill our flexibility, we're not sure if he's the guy, let him go. Then your guys at the top are like, well, screw you, I'm leaving. You can't build a championship team, I'm leaving. So, I I don't (laughs) know, the is in a really interesting spot because they've shrunk down the sizes of or the length of all these contracts where... There's just not... Again, the Bucks. ironically, are just hitting us over the head with continuity this season, that they've been able to keep all these guys together, and that should mean that your team's going to get better. But you can build that, okay, for this year, and you know what? There's going to be continuity next year. A number of these guys are going to come back next year. But by the time Giannis is good enough, and he's the, he can be the type of guy that can win you 50 games year in and year out... Well, the guys that built your continuity in those first two to three years, they either need to get paid or they're being overpaid or they need to get somewhere else or they were so good in those two years that they made enough money that they can get a better contract for another team that's trying to make that same jump. Like, finding the core and keeping it together in the modern NBA is really freaking difficult and i just think the nba is in a fascinating spot uh as they try to as teams try to figure out exactly how you build teams when roster turnover has increased to such a level that year in and year out you're going to have a different team and maybe you can keep them together for two years but after that you have to find someone new
1: well so not to be a stickler to either of you I think you have both brought up a valid point about the cap space, about sort of acknowledging that the Bucks roster is not yet fully formed if it's going to be a championship contender team. But um, Steve, if you want to talk about gameplay, I would
0: say the one that we've talked about for a long time and I think is interesting. I mean, just shooting a lot of threes would probably be the other one, which isn't isn't rocket science. Um, Is that what you were kind of heading towards, more of a gameplay type?
1: It I, was sort of a, like what 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 makes the roster fully Ooh, formed or or, or, or like, you know, different. who is who is the next sort of Chris Middleton or finding the next Tony Snell? Like, what are you looking for? Is it the fact that there's positional versatility at the wing roles? Is it the fact that you have sort of a eliminate, you know, an informal elimination of the center position so you can get someone on the floor who can extend uh, to the three point line and sort of stretch the defense? Or is it something like what Steve Kerr is doing with the Warriors? Where um, I can't get a feel if that's just personnel based, the fact that they have so many great players and great scorers, but sort of their subtle shift away from pick and roll play to more of that pure ball movement and sort of cycling the ball around the court to either expose different matchups or just stretch the defense and wait for it to sort of break down. Like, are there things that structurally in terms of maybe how the team gets built not necessarily with the money that it does but sort of are there different trends that you think will explain the next evolution of the league
2: i was going to say so the the three-point revolution kind of occurred already right like yep. most most teams understand that's the best it's way to it's been televised have, uh, yes, the <laughs> right is televised. So, uh so we're at that point and, and
0: just just real, and just real quick on that then i'll and then I'll let you get back at it eric Kevin Pelton had a good comment where you know, uh, for a few years, like teams that led the league in three-point attempts were generally the best offensive teams in the league, and that it was an interesting correlation, right? It wasn't that they were the best percentage-wise, but they just shot tons of them and they were really good at offense. And mm-hmm. I think Kevin Pelton said that like, well, you know, and, and this was on a day a Locked On podcast, and I think David Locked at him, well, how long can this go on? And Kevin Pelton said, well. When there's no longer a correlation between who shoots the most threes and who's the best <laughs> at offense, then right. it makes right. sense to stop shooting so many threes. And it was interesting last year because last year you actually started to see that happen a little bit because you saw Brooklyn and Philadelphia um, among the best, or you know they were fourth and seventh in three-point attempts per game, and you know they were they were not good offenses, right? I mean they weren't good teams, they weren't good offenses. Um, so we're starting to kind of see that. Then again, you know Houston, Cleveland, Boston, the top three golden state only fifth and three-point attempts um so there's still obviously a generally a correlation there but um that's kind of one of those interesting things to see i mean I, I would say yes the three-point revolution i think teams will continue to shoot more of them and teams will catch up um mm-hmm. and but i think there's still a trend there but i do think there's sort of a lesser correlation maybe than there was in previous years teams are at least sort of figuring it out
1: but i guess i'll i'll re i'll reframe the the question because i think you were headed there eric is that like as the three-point revolution occurs and all teams start to move toward what that theoretical limit might be, the Rockets still probably pressing as far out as they possibly can on this. Um, but, you know, the spread between teams and the amount of threes that they shoot, I think, might be shrinking because sort of that 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 rising tide is lifting everybody to a certain level. Um, so the question is sort of – it happened in baseball as well of like trying to figure out what the next differentiator might be or where – The smart money might be on the teams exploiting how the league is shaped now with sort of these widely versatile groups of players who are on the floor. You see traditional centers are sort of still being bludgeoned to death with the three-point shot and not being able to sort of manage their new role as the rim protector slash, you know, maybe arc extender. Uh, Like the Jaleel Okafor's of the world, those guys were sort of being phased out and dealing with sort of that last bit of the change that's occurring. But Eric do you sort of have a vision for maybe what we should be looking for next or things and themes throughout watching games that maybe are important to keep in mind?
2: Well, I think I think it's large there's a couple things here. The first thing is that search I tend to believe is a physical in geographical search. Essentially the way I see the game of basketball as as the game of basketball has developed and evolved we've looked for spaces on the floor that we can take advantage of that you're looking for the next space where people haven't used it you're looking for ways to occupy it and make it interesting like we've seen the game develop a number of ways like before as the game was in its infancy it was like okay well try to get it as close to the basket and see what you can do and then it was like, okay, we'll get it to the block and we can kind of work off that and then in the 80s you saw teams start to spread the floor a little bit to the short corner, find those guys that can hit those shots Uh, MJ obviously popularized mid-range shots and moving the game out and then as the three-point line came, moving that further and further out, so To me, as I've discussed this with a couple other basketball coaches, is always trying to find the spot on the floor where you can create an advantage. Like Essentially, I think the best offenses have found different fulcrums for how you turn the floor and how you use all those different spaces. You're essentially trying to use as much space as possible on a basketball floor, so the defense has to cover as much space. Um, So I I don't think we're ever going to get to a spot where the mid-range jumper re-revolutionizes the game, but if you can get to a spot where you've changed the fulcrum of the game that you put the ball in the short corner and then you run your offense out of that spot. It might sound difficult, but that would maybe you can use the baseline in a different way. Maybe you can uh, run handoffs in a different way. And, and I think as you watch the Warriors play, I think they've kind of done that. We talked about it literally on the last lockdown bucks where in the preseason game, Malcolm Brogdon got a post up and in the nineties, it would have been like, all right, Mark Jackson, go to work on that little dude. Like, Put it in. Like, you got it. But the Bucks got Chris Middleton open off of that. And when you watch the Warriors, the post-ups are to create something elsewhere. So I think that's always the big thing is that you uh, basketball as a whole is physically searching for the next spot on the court that can make defenses expand, can create openings within the defense. And obviously you've seen that as now the Rockets are going out to like 30 feet on their threes. Ryan Anderson is routinely shooting the deepest threes anyone's really ever seen um so i think you're seeing that and then i think the other thing is i think we'll we'll get to a point where every player on the floor offensively either has to be able to make a play or directly influence someone else making a play and what i mean by that is as We see the three-point line become more important. Closeouts become harder. More teams are trying to take that away. You have to be able to attack that closeout. And if you can't attack that closeout, you have to be able to make a pass that takes advantage of someone attacking that closeout. Like Just the idea um, that if you can't make plays, you can't really be on the floor, or in more extreme situations, like DeAndre Jordan can be on the floor because... He's such a weapon around the rim that you're actively helping create make plays for someone else. So um, those are the two things I kind of see, like the physical search for the next spot on the floor that's going to be difficult to defend, and then just the idea that you can't be on the floor offensively unless you can make plays.
1: Tactically speaking, from your perspective, I'm actually curious about this. Is I know you know the the evolution in football um, came to sort of like. Uh, I guess, it, you know, more of more of like a reads at the line of scrimmage where it, it'd be difficult to even speculate on what the play call was because there were often like two-way reads about, you know, what you saw in the box or whether you saw somebody here or there, whether it was a pass or run and sort of how you could check out of things. And at sometimes running both simultaneously and leaving that final decision on the quarterback, which in basketball would then be the ball handler, do you get a sense that sort of there might be more – read principles sort of applied in NBA plays, not to say that there aren't now, but like, do you see sort of a full fluid offenses emerging and sort of having someone like a Giannis who can make, you know, full reads on exactly what the flow of a play ultimately becomes being sort of, you know, a differentiator for the Bucks, or is that more of just sort of a broad league thing that's already occurring?
2: I think it's probably more broad, uh, but at the same time in the NBA, with as quick as a shot clock is that I don't know if you necessarily have as much time to read and with the insane athleticism that a number of these players have like, well, if I can just get space for a Kevin Durant clear out like a Kevin Durant going one-on-one well, that's great like, that's a great offensive yeah. option for us I don't need to read anything Like, you got the one-on-one matchup that you want and I, and I think largely that's what you're looking at when you're looking at reads on a football field is you're trying to Put the defense in compromising positions, and largely that's what you're already seeing, seeing teams do by spacing the floor, like the Warriors do. They're able to put you in a compromising position, and they're finding the matchup that's most advantageous for them.
0: I, I think, kind of expand on that a little bit, I'm, and I think back a couple of years ago, um, you know, spacing is just synonymous with just being able to shoot threes, but I think spacing also is related to, you know, being able to make good reads, like being a smart passer, right? And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have mm-hmm. everyone has to be Chris, but being able to take a dribble and make the right read, um, like when Eric was joking yesterday about John Henson throwing, you know, catching the ball in the middle and throwing it out to the corner for a three immediately and making that recognition, you know, it's all kind of depends on the position. But, um, like, I kind of think, like, you know, like what makes somebody like Zaza Pachulia effective, right? I mean, it's not be, he can't stretch the floor in any traditional sense, but he sets screens and he's a good passer for his position. You know, he can't finish for shit, right? But um, mm-hmm. but guys like that, I think, are tend to be underrated. I think you know one of the reasons the Bucks probably were an above average offense last year was because you know you had a power forward in Giannis who was like a premium playmaker from that position. You know, Chris Middleton, especially late in the year when he came back was a very good passer for you know a three let's say a good passer for a three but you know so even though you didn't have like that superstar creative point guard um greg monroe good passer from the five spot you know and assuming he wasn't you know two feet from the basket since he never passes the ball out from there um so I, i think those kinds of things like there's there's things that go into sort of like the precision of an offense you know you look at the the warriors right the story about when steve kerr came in like the first thing they did was focus on passing right they just did bunch of drills in training camp around like passing and being unselfish. And that was a big, the big difference from when Mark Jackson was there. There was this emphasis on being unselfish and you look at how the warriors like screen, like the way the guards, like Seth Curry and Clay Thompson, like they're great screeners. Right. Which is something that like, nobody's going to, you know, put on a highlight reel. Um, but, but those things are important. So I think having guys who, yeah, I mean, you want guys who are going to shoot threes and you know, we'll kind of see, it'll, it'll be interesting to see kind of like this year as well. Like big guys, like we've seen some guys like Brooke Lopez, like, add that to his game, Marcus. add that to his game. You know, like watching Josh Powell and Jeff Withey shoot threes yesterday in Dallas, I was kind of like, there's got to be some logical limits to this. Um, So it'll be kind of interesting (laughs) to see how that unfolds. But guys who can pass at above average, you know, above average passers from every position, you know, those guys I think are going to be probably underrated relative to, you know, people are just going to look for, are probably going to be biased towards just three point shooters, but guys who can screen and pass. You know, I mean, Andrew Bogut, right? Like, why was Andrew Bogut, like an awesome offensive player for the Warriors? Because he was on a team of shooters and he was a great screener and a great passer, right? I mean, it just worked. So I think those I'm are. I'm glad that
3: we call. just spent 15 minutes making my case for Kelly Olenek. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's true. I don't know. I don't know about his screening, but. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, but but I guess we'll, we'll we'll see. But certainly the passing and 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 shooting. So I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see that that sort of stuff. And I have to say too, it was kind of funny watching the Bucks. They were, I think, they were pretty small in like the fourth quarter yesterday. And obviously, who cares? It's a scrimmage, but or a, a preseason game. That but, was a scrimmage. You know, there, <laughs> there were times where it was like they, everybody was around the perimeter, and it kind of underscores, like, I mean, playing five out, like. Actually, isn't that easy. Like, y- you're going to get more space if you've got one guy who's actually like cutting and diving to the rim than you are if everybody just is standing, you know, 24 feet from the hoop and just sort of passing it around. I mean, that's not really the recipe for necessarily great offense either. Like, you- putting five Tony Snells, even if he's shooting 40% from three, like, that's not going to do anything for you. Um, so, finding that right balance is important. And I-, I also think it's interesting, you know, for a guy like Giannis, like, I, I am. So excited to see teams going small and getting rid of centers and getting rid of rim protectors, yep. Yep. because I think for a guy like Giannis, it is he's he's sort of zagging um, in in a great time to be zagging because um, you know look at like LeBron in, in particular in the finals, it's like when he was out there, you know. Granted, we talk a lot about oh he's playing center or Katie's playing center or whatever, but it's like yeah, and that's why they're scoring like. 30 points a game on ridiculous efficiency cuz like nobody can stop LeBron if there's no big guys on. You know, it's like he's he's going to This just,
1: is my Giannis's optimal center. Yeah.
0: And and, and or, or you know, and so it's one of those things I mean as long as 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 teams go smaller, I mean, I just think it's awesome for if you're a Bucks fan because the less rim protection, the less guy, you know, fewer guys that are out there um, that can really sort of credibly challenge Giannis around the basket I mean you know I'm not worried about him being able to get there even if he's against smaller guys who are quicker um, I think that's going to be a fun thing to watch because yeah going small like the, the smaller the league gets the more it's going to help you know the freaks who like Giannis who are huge and also have these these ball handing abilities but to get the him
2: and finish Before we let it get to Jeremy I just want to say that I was going to start my point by referencing Kelly Olenek but I wanted you guys to take me serious so I decided to, to go <laughs> against that
3: I don't really have much to add to this I think Frank's point Frank made a little bit of my point which was just if you get a lot of talented guys that are unselfish they're going to find the spaces on the court and a lot of stuff's going to happen naturally as long as you preach that unselfishness and I think that's what the Warriors have shown everyone
1: well, and I guess to to unify a bunch of the points that we were just talking about from, you know, the Bucks defense to sort of the way that Giannis does his thing is um, it, it is interesting. And the reason that I brought up some of the reads and as you brought up, Frank, the capabilities of different players on the floor to make them or to, as you said, Eric, to perform different actions on the floor that, you know, really put stress on the defense. It was interesting to watch the lens through the lens of sort of that, that Bucks defense, the year where they were very successful, you know, second in the league. Uh, Some of that may have been due a bit in part uh, luck, you know, for sort of what shots went in and what shots didn't uh, and still sort of the shots that they were giving up. But I think part of the reason that that defense succeeded at the time that it did is you could watch the first and second actions be totally destroyed by the aggressiveness and the blitzing of the Bucks on the floor and the ball sort of left in the hands of somebody who wasn't necessarily meant to make a bunch of reads, you know, players who weren't <laughs> capable of making them in the moment and the shot clock drained down and put teams in difficult situations. But. Over the last two years, watching sort of how teams have made that adjustment. And even in the playoff series when the Bucks played the Bulls that season, sort of watching it in real time unfold in a playoff series of the way that uh, offenses were changing and sort of rewriting their rules on the fly of what reads could be made and what moments and what was appropriate to do when and sort of loosen the rules of how they engage the defense uh, and seeing sort of a more... Free form action that was occurring to exploit the different areas that the Bucks tend to give up. So this is the way that the league is moving. That's sort of the trend that I would see in this upcoming year of sort of watching if teams are, you know, still using that sort of free form rule of letting people touch the ball first, make those reads, exploit some of the Bucks' different uh, areas of weakness that they leave open on the floor is will be interesting and fascinating.
2: For, uh, me this <laughs> like I was going it's funny that you mentioned this because. I think one of the last games that Jeremy covered, we were talking about it, and I, I that would have been two seasons ago. And at the start of the season, I think we saw... Shoot. I, they were playing the Blazers, and I think they ran a middle pick and roll, and the ball got to Myers Leonard, rolling to the hoop at the free throw line. And at the start of... I, I mean at the start of Jason Kidd's tenure, that would have been a spot where Myers Leonard would have shit the bed. Like, he he would have caught mm-hmm. the ball and just been like, "Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. He wasn't happen. told he could make
1: a read, right? Yeah. He was just there to fill space and Correct. do something.
2: So, like, right. you saw that, and then Myers Leonard grabbed it, made a dribble, kicked it to the corner, corner three, wide open, bang. And I looked at Jeremy, and I was like, oh, shit, like that like this is how the league is going like the Warriors kind of started that with Draymond and taking advantage of that and making sure he knew to make that read and I was like man if more fives can start to do this like the Bucks defense is really in trouble and then I think in one of the last games I think I'm not 100% sure on this and maybe this is just how I want to remember it because it's perfect anecdotally but I think it was Jason Smith and I think he would have been playing for the Wizards at the time. Wizards. Uh, yeah. And he made that exact same play. Like, they ran a middle pick and roll. He grabbed grabbed it, I think, with his left hand, spun to his right, and threw it to the right corner for a three. And I just looked at Jeremy, and I was like, it's over. Like, that that defense can't work at the, mm-hmm. at this moment because... Everyone. Literally everyone. Like at the start of the year we saw Myers Leonard do it. And by the end of the year we saw Jason Smith do it. Like it cannot work because the NBA has totally changed. You see how deliberate I am? See, I'm
1: pointed in my criticisms. I can still manage to get
2: it. Deliberate <laughs> Steve, is a good <laughs> way to describe this podcast
3: right now. <laughs> Steve, <laughs>
0: Steve
1: is, is, is Myers Leonard your Kelly little Leonard <laughs> Oh man, I don't, you know what Myers, I mean, that was one where you know, Frank, you you mentioned sort of the um the the wisdom of the Twitter crowd. I, I think I followed some some Blazers folks as well, but uh the last year of Myers Leonard seemed to just be a dumpster fire of basketball. <laughs> like everyone everyone jumped ship. It's not quite the Waiters Island situation where there are people who are still like I'm here and uh you know, I uh will sell tickets to Waiters Island at some point. It seemed like Myers Leonard's Island was just like burned and sunk into the ground and like forgotten about. So I don't know if anyone can claim Myers Leonard anymore, but I, I do still believe he could serve a purpose. <laughs> <for> a <team. laughs> I, I and I think Myers- like Leonard's, that might be Myers- what Leonard's just
0: like podcast. a, yeah, Myers Leonard's just like a barge full of garbage
1: in the middle <laughs> exactly. of a river or something like that. So have at <laughs> exactly. it. Steve. Exactly. Um, so I guess I had one final question. First of all, a PSA to anybody. This is so there. many questions. Um, <laughs> yes.
3: Well, I, 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 this I is part.
0: Bro. This is part eight. It's airing in in mid December. So <laughs>
3: we started recording this at eight thirty, which is like late for me as it is. Uh, the first is a PSA to everyone
1: out there. If you've made it this this far, uh, and maybe for the rest of the season, listen to podcasts at one point five speed. I cannot recommend that enough. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I would like to
3: record the rest of this at 1.5 speed. It is.
1: I love love 1.5 speed for podcasts. Even Eric's delivery at the beginning, I slowed it down this morning just to see to the regular speed. And Eric, man, you are really coming in there with the welcome to Lockdown box, which I know you're sort of trolling people now because you sort of get crap about it. So (laughs) I actually appreciate what's happening there. But just so everyone knows, 1.5 speed, way to go, excellent thing to do.
2: Is that it, or did you have another
1: question? I I, I, <laughs> I did have one more, and I'm going to make you all stay for it as well. Um, the the so the nature of the podcast that you guys do, and we've been discussing sort of the broader constellation of fandom that exists, and you know Jeremy now on the outer edges of it, wishing he could just like drop off the line and <laughs> have some like pre-programmed goodbye or something. Probably at this point, but uh, the question is like you guys have always we used to blog about the Bucks. You guys podcast about the Bucks. I think the way that most analysis in the league is framed sort of around the team concept where you're still worried about cap space, you're worried about getting good deals on players. Any thought at all that, you know, with a transcendent talent like Giannis that your fandom, um, there might be people out there, you know, people in, in, in Greece or elsewhere who sort of are already attached more to a player than a team. But any thought that sort of in the future now with the way that we can consume the game differently with uh, NBA League Pass, see any team we want at any time, we're not tethered regionally to sort of how we interact with um, the NBA, that at any point do you think you would make the switch to becoming more of a fan of a particular player and follow their career uh, rather than being sort of tethered to a particular franchise or team? Because I think that there's there's... You know a weird relationship you have with a team where they're not going to make all the right decisions they're not going to do everything right. but you, the way that you frame it sort of the players become you know more like expendable pieces or sort of assets on the ledger rather than like you know the 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 fun, enjoyable players that they are. Like Jabari Parker, I would love to just sit and enjoy. but from the team perspective, I'm always like, oh God, they can't pay him. I don't want him to, oh no, he represents too many risks or you know he's going to be too much money um and sometimes i i'd like miss the fact that i could just enjoy some of these players for who they are and what they bring to the table and sort of the entertainment that they provide me because some of that perspective just gets shifted or lost in the process and i'm not sure i'm there yet but like with someone as special as Giannis, it's almost within the realm of possibility where if for some reason you know those that his experience in free agency if he decides to go into it were that interesting and he wound up on a different team like Maybe I could follow him and just sort of see where his career goes and sort of reframe the way that I uh, consume the NBA and, and, and take in different ways. So it might be a harder question for you guys to answer uh, in the sense that, like, I'm not sure it would even exist in the realm of possibility right now. But is that something that is all on the table, uh, Jeremy, probably for you, because it seems like you've not necessarily been as up on the bucks yet. But are there still players or maybe different sort of ways that you would uh, stay engaged with the league itself?
3: I I don't think I would ever root my consider myself to be a fan of a player specifically just because I've spent so much time around these players that I realize that they're just people and it's uh, you know even if they're um even if they do good deeds and they seem to generally be good we're getting like 10% of their life like via you know the media so I don't really know what they're actually like it's hard for me to deify a player or to just start following a player there were times sure that like Oh, if somebody was from, you know, I grew up in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, and Devin Harris, though he went to a different high school, was somebody that I remember playing with at the YMCA and just remember seeing him there and stuff like that. So he was like, oh, I'll you know, his career is interesting to me um, because he's from a place where I'm from. But I wasn't, like, super into it. but I just kind of kept up and just kind of kept tabs on what was going on with him. And that was probably the last time that I would ever just, like, really keep up with a player, be a fan of a player, because, I don't know, man, they're just other dudes, so it's it's just kind of whatever <laughs> for me. Well, I don't know. Well, based
1: on those critiques, though, I mean, was it different for you with the team? Is it sort of more nebulous and negotiable in terms of, you know, you don't necessarily have to confront any of those things that you might on an individual level of whether they're good dudes or not or good
3: Yeah, because the team is just an entity, and it's an entity that's based in the city where I spend time and live, so it feels more kind of real to me, I guess. Um, it's I don't know. It's, I hmm. don't know. And, like, I mean, I've kind of soured on the idea as a team as time has gone on, too, because, again, you know, whether they win or lose, it's not really going to impact my life on a day-to-day basis. If the Bucks go out and win the title this year, that's great. I'm sure I'll be excited by some of the games, and I'll have some good times going to games or going to parties or whatever. But, like, ultimately it's very low on my priority list at this point. So it's just hard to even really get that into it. So I guess I would say I'll be more of a fan of a team because it can bring more to my day-to-day life because I can go watch games with people and it can be a social bonding and, you know, podcasts like this or, you know, um, getting to catch up with people that I met through the team or whatever. So I guess in general, the team, I still would prioritize. The players, I mean, they're just other people. So it's just kind of, and if Giannis leaves, you know, certainly I'll have conflicting feelings about it. I'll be disappointed. Um, but for him, obviously he was, he'd be making a decision that he thought was the best. I'm not going to vilify him for making a decision that he thought was the best. Um, it's just there's been a lot of like, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's just, I guess, where I come down on it. I don't want to go yeah. on a whole other tangent, so. No, no, that's, that's,
1: that, that's totally fair. I think seeing it as that, that is the value that I'm guessing Frank is going to espouse as well as sort of it's a better team structure is sort of a better vector for that um, socialization and sort of broader community engagement that, that happens because there's sort of people connecting on just like a different level. But, so again, I don't, wanna, right
3: I don't want right don't to, wanna, like, I don't want to, like, full-on take the teams. Like, I see these people who get so into teams and, like, their their Twitter logo is the team and, like, their name is, like, Bucks Guy 5 and, like, that's their identity. And if a player leaves, they hate that guy and he sucks and whatever. Like, oh, my God, that seems like a horrible way to live. So I don't want to be like that. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess, like... I don't even want to be that into a team. I just want to casually observe them, and like I don't want to be too upset anymore if they lose, or too happy if they win. I just wanna, I just wanna, you know, occasionally go to some parties and watch them play. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think you guys probably can can guess who you already have. Um, I mean, my, I think Giannis, if he left, you know. Um, might be the only guy that I would really actively root for uh, on a different team just because I, I think if he did leave, it would probably be because, you know, he wasn't getting the supporting cast here that, that you, you should have, you know, could have expected. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, I never root for players. I mean, there are players that I like, I mean, like Jared Dudley, like I like Jared Dudley a lot. Right. Um, Kendall but, Markle, like, <laughs> but like <do laughs> I, it, you Jeremy,
2: know? <laughs> Do I tune
0: into their games on League Pass and watch them? No, I don't really care. You know, in in a general sense, like good players, I'm always like a little bit like hoping they're not that good once they leave, just because I don't want to feel like the Bucks blew it by trading them. You know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, my my, and, and that's the thing too. It's like people are like, oh, you're rooting for Laundry, or like, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of, um, and I and I I can kind of understand, especially with people. Who, there's a lot of like, you know, um, condescension towards people who, like you know use the term we when they talk about their favorite team and i actually um i mean i do that sometimes i don't think i ever really do that on our podcast i try not to do it in the context of covering the team um but like you know i def i'm sure i do it at times like in my random moments talking about them with friends and um and i think it's actually like totally fine in the sense that fans like have a sense of permanence with a franchise that like a player a coach gm like nobody else has right like I'm I've been a Bucks fan since I moved to Wisconsin over 25 years ago nobody else like like players come and go like you know players like I'm sure very few Bucks players I'd guess no bucks players care about the milwaukee bucks your former bucks care about the milwaukee bucks right now as much as i do (laughs) like in terms of (laughs) watching every game and you know talking about it all the time with with you guys things like that so um so i think fans kind of own i mean and again this is just like it's just an opinion thing but i i I don't know i feel like fans own sort of a team in that sense um to to have that sense of community because i think it is sort of a a broader we about like we as a fan base, you know, we, the supporters of this team, I don't know. I don't view it as, I, I don't view it as cynically as a lot of people, um, which is kind of my way of saying, yes, I'm a, I'm a team person, at least with yeah. the box. Yeah. Um, and, and history. you know, when it comes to sports, like I root for the Packers, my dad went to Penn state. So I follow Penn state and I follow Wisconsin cause I grew up in Wisconsin. Like, you know, and I watch all those teams and, you know, like, that's kind of what I do and, I don't think I get too bent out of shape, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not like, you know, I like, I appreciate LeBron. I like LeBron. I like Durant, you know, I enjoy watching them play, but I'm also not like a fan of theirs like per se, right? I don't think there are any other players outside of Bucks players that I consider myself like really like a fan of who I want to go really out of my way to watch and, and, and care about, like maybe some, some players that like, could play, you know, like, like what Jeremy said, like, you know, when Wisconsin football players, like, go to the pros, like, I'll casually follow them and hope they do well and things like that, but I'm not, like, watching every game or something like that.
2: I think the team aspect of sports is what makes sports fun. Um, Being able to feel that... Being able to feel that you're a part of something larger, uh, to be able to experience those ups and downs, and I I think that makes the, the ultimate... Joy that you could take from it even greater if you've gone through all of that. So I guess maybe you could do that with a player um, if you were willing to go through all of the ups and downs. But man, like Jeremy said, like you don't know that dude. Like, you just like watching him play basketball. So maybe he's a great person, but also maybe he's awful in the other 80% of his life that you have no access to so I I just think that could kind of be a a weird experience not that that isn't the same thing with the team that a team can do awful things and uh, a team could be awful to support but most of the time you're going to have a bunch of different directions you could go in that could find something that you ultimately enjoy about that team and like about that team and you don't have to actively just focus in on one person so maybe you could do it at some point but i I really do think it would be kind of strange
1: that's fair i imagine you guys interact on a semi-daily basis with with certain subset of people who are Giannis fans first um so i was just curious if like in the future if you know there's sort of an untethering that occurs with the people who can now watch any team anywhere anytime on any device
2: for and that and, I mean, and
0: that's not new either, right? I mean, like I remember the Australians when we get, you know, the Bucks had Bogut, and you know there yep. was
3: the brief period of
0: Chinese fans with with Yi Jianlian, right? I mean, big Chris crazy. Douglas Roberts's
3: family yeah. when he oh was in the Oh my family. God,
0: CDR. Yeah. yeah. Um, did Jody Meeks' family like ever was that Jody Meeks or something? I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird. But I think uh, you know, Big Crazy Dave. Shout out to Big Crazy Dave, the Australian yes. dude who was uh, used to be in the Brew Hoop comments. I don't know what happened—a big crazy day. Um, I think there's still some Australia. I know there's still some Australian Bucks fans back from the Bogut era who now have had kind of a reason to stick around with Deli and Thon. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of those things. Like you know, stuff happens. Like Jeremy gets you know a dog and a girlfriend and a good job and stops caring
1: about the Bucks quite as much, and
3: that's his choice.
2: You know, like, I still like Jeremy.
1: I still like to talk with him. That is, you guys have finally reached the end of my list of questions.
2: All right, then I think we've reached the end of the podcast. Uh, I don't, I mean, obviously none of us came prepared quite like you, Steve, uh, so <laughs> I don't think... Well, I want to wish it. everybody
0: a happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, it's been great. We've been here for the last 32 days recording this podcast. No, we've gone well over two hours at this point, so I'm sure we'll yeah. break this up. But, Chop it up. Um, Chop it up. But this was, uh, this was fun, guys. I'm glad we I'm glad we had a, a little jam session, got to kind of workshop some stuff. Uh, heard your heard your voices, um, and uh, I would say we should do this again before before you know a year from now, next pre- before next
1: preseason.
3: Well, this probably won't run out until a year from now. That's yeah. true. <laughs> we'll, yeah. so we're yeah. gonna
1: be parsing this yeah. guy
0: out, so yeah. it'll work. It will work out. <laughs>
1: We'll let the listeners be the judge. If they don't want us back, then just forget they probably won't want me back. And I think I can immediately claim title to be the worst again. I think I've reclaimed it right at the end. We'll, Snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Well so.
0: we'll let the Twitter poll decide that, Steve. Don't That's worry great. about it. All right, good. And that was it from us. Uh, again, that was Steve, Jeremy, Eric, and me, Frank. Um, hope you enjoyed it. And as I was listening to that, a couple a couple random thoughts just to kind of tie it all together. Um, of course, when Steve started off by asking if we saw sort of trends and he was trying to talk about gameplay, it, it was only predictable, I guess, that I being the cap nerd that I am would immediately start talking about cap type, a cap type view of that question. Um, but I, I think it is true to a large extent that again, teams that tend to build really smartly tend to not especially especially when you talk about other teams free agents they tend to not really necessarily spend a lot of money that way and they we've brought up the thunder and how few uh, how little money they've spent on external free agents and pat patterson who didn't get paid that much being i think the biggest free agent from the outside that they've they've signed and obviously the key piece here is that you have to be able to uh, acquire very good players in the draft and and via trade in order to kind of make that work. But um, so that that was one thing. And then I think as far as uh, the gameplay question, yeah, I mean, I think I agree with most of it. I mean, I think, uh, again, obviously, everybody kind of talks about shooting, and that's like the big trend. Oh, you got to have shooters everywhere. Um, yeah, th- that's part of it, um, sure. Uh, but again, I think sometimes passing, screening, unselfishness, sort of, you know, th- those things I don't want to call them intangibles because we have ways of measuring passing and things like that. And now we do have stats for, for things like setting screens, but um but maybe things that are a little more under the radar than just parachuting I think are also important. Um you know Steve talked about wingspan. I think that that's been kind of one thing we, we used to talk a lot about, you know, underrated aspects of draft prospects in particular. Um but I don't know. I don't know if Wingspan is some magical thing. I think if you're comparing it to, for instance, height, yeah, I think it's probably as important or more important than than just pure height just because uh, of the functional use of, of wingspan in terms of being able to block shots and steal the ball and, you know, finish and things like that. But, um, but, but, you know, I was just kind of thinking, it's like, well, you know, the Warriors have two guys who probably fit in that. Durant has a crazy wingspan, but really is just super skilled uh, beyond that. And then Draymond also has kind of a, a long wingspan relative to his height, but you know Steph and Clay Thompson, not guys that physically you'd say really stand out that much. they're just really really skilled so again, combinations of of multiple things typically um one other one other comment I didn't say anything <laughs> during the podcast uh there was that moment Jeremy made a reference to um you know when we're talking about fandom and you know uh people who and he, you know that Jeremy doesn't identify so much with people who kind of makes sports or a team kind of their their be all end all. Um and I, I, mean, I don't know. I mean I I feel like I would be a hypocrite to say that I don't understand that because I am that kind of person. Um and I imagine many of you listening are people who do make sports big parts of their lives. So I don't know. I mean I think it it's just a personal preference thing. And I mean I think, you know, especially on Twitter, I mean, I think a lot of people use Twitter primarily for sports because to be honest, if I wasn't using it to follow the NBA, I don't know if I would ever really use Twitter to interact with just people I know in in my everyday life. So, um, I, I probably should have made fun of Jeremy for you know talking about he doesn't understand people whose you know Twitter handle is BucksGuy5 when when his handle is BucksGoball after all. But um, I think a lot of people, especially people who don't want to necessarily put their real names on on their Twitter accounts, which is understandable, given it's sometimes nice to be able to talk about things on Twitter without having it get back to your employer or whatever it is. Um, I I think that actually there's some very good, very good reasons for this, but, um, I I don't know. I I haven't talked to a lot of people about the idea of, you know, sort of fandom and and this kind of more abstract stuff, but I think it's a fun topic and I stand by using we, I think, I think it's in a lot of senses, okay to, to use we as a fan when you're talking about your favorite team, because again, I, I don't know, I think there's a, I think especially people who are close to teams, I mean, I can understand there's a degree of, snobbery because they actually are understanding the inner workings of the team and they know people, you know, the players and things like that. But eh, I don't know. I mean sports ultimately don't matter without fans. And I think, you know, again, if you're a lifelong fan of a team, you're gonna be with that team longer than any player, longer than than a coach, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I think absolutely, you know, you you own you own that team. You own the the franchise in a way, maybe not, you know, to the extent you're going to be able to sell it for anything, but uh, but I do think it's it's a thing that uh, that it, it's it's okay to take ownership and feel like you're part of it. I think that's what makes sports awesome. And um, yeah, that's it for today. I'm going to leave it there. Um, Eric will be back for our next pod. We'll see if we can pod uh, for either Thursday or Friday. I think we need to do some bucks over unders. We haven't really done that. We did the win over under. But I think we need to do some kind of more general statistical over-unders. We talked about that a little bit, but now that we're in training camp, I don't know. Maybe we can revisit that. I don't know if we did uh, enough over-under stuff before when we kind of alluded to it. So with that, I will leave you guys. Hope you guys have a great Wednesday. And if you hear this on Thursday, I hope you have a great Thursday too. Uh, And we'll talk to you guys very soon. Again, it's Frank. Check us out. If you somehow have stumbled upon this randomly, check us out uh, wherever you get your podcast, Locked on Bucks. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Too much Reddit, too little time? MyRed stacks your subreddit side by side. It's a Reddit reader that squishes more Reddit into your screen. Get a free trial today at MyRed.com.